it's so easy to get pulled into stuff that doesn't make any difference, even though it gives you a kick at the time. So, well, I've got inbox zero. Aren't I a good person? No one gives a shit that you have no emails in your box. Welcome to Stand Out Get Noticed, the podcast that helps you speak and present with rockstar confidence. I'm Christina Cantors, your host and founder of The C Method Communication Skills Training. For free resources and to subscribe to the show, visit thecmethod.com. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to episode 143 of Stand Out Get Noticed. Christina with you here. I want to wish you a very happy new year. I hope you had a fabulous end to 2017 and have launched into 2018 with much enthusiasm. I know I certainly have. Now, the fact that you are listening to this podcast, I assume that you're looking to develop yourself, build new skills, do better work, and become a better person overall, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening. So being the very first podcast for 2018, I I wanted to share with you a concept that has the potential to help you to become a better person overall through doing more meaningful work producing the best work that you're capable of, mastering difficult things, and making you more valuable um, in the workplace and in today's economy. It's the concept of deep work, a term that was coined by author Cal Newport in his book of the same name. I was introduced to it by my friend Bernie Mitchell, who co-runs At Work Hubs, a co-working space in London. He's also a podcaster, blogger, and productivity guru, and he recommended I read the book, and I did, and it resonated deeply with me. And I thought I would ask him to join me on the show to have a discussion about the book and the concepts shared in it and how he is implementing it into his life. Before we get into that conversation, I'll give you a quick overview of the concepts in the book so that you know where we're coming from. Firstly, this is the definition of what deep work is, according to Cal Newport, the author. Deep work can be defined as professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive capabilities to their limits. These efforts create new value, improve your skill, and are hard to replicate. I want you to think about it. When was the last time you spent a good, I don't know, two hours of undistracted focus on a single task? No interruptions, no phone, no texts, no Facebook, no colleagues tapping on your door, no patting the dog, nothing. This is what deep work is. Newport says professional activities, but I don't believe it has to be work-related. It could be a personal project or skill you want to build, like starting a blog or learning to speak French, or making a piece of furniture, or writing a book. These are all projects that take a while to build up and to build up that skill, and they require a high level of focus to get anything done. So that's deep work. In contrast to deep work is shallow work, which Newport defines as non-cognitively demanding, logistical-style tasks often performed while distracted. These efforts tend not to create much new value in the world and are easy to replicate. I would add there that they don't lead to a feeling of work satisfaction. Have you ever felt like you're being productive? You're busy all the time, you're running around, going to meetings, replying to emails, but at the end of the day, you don't really feel like you've achieved anything particularly important? That's the shallow work, the work that can be done by anyone really, and it doesn't create real meaning. 
Newport argues if you spend enough time in a state of shallowness, you permanently reduce your capacity to perform deep work. So the more time we spend on email, social media, running around to meetings, reorganizing out your folders, etc., etc., the more difficult it is to then be able to focus intently on that one thing and do the meaningful work. He also argues that in order to produce the absolute best stuff you're capable of, you need to commit to deep work. You can't get anything meaningful done in a state of shallowness. Newport calls deep work the superpower of the 21st century. And one of the big ideas in the book is that the ability to quickly master hard things and the ability to produce at an elite level in terms of both quality and speed are two core abilities for thriving in today's economy. So if you want to stand out at work, become indispensable and recognized for your skills, like a go-to expert in your field, and feel a deep sense of satisfaction in your work, learning to master the skill of deep work is absolutely critical. So there's an overview of some of the big ideas in the book. And with that, let's move on to the conversation with Bernie Mitchell. Just a side note, about three minutes into our conversation, the recording software we were using cut out for some reason, so we had to switch to Skype. So you'll hear a slight change in the recording quality. That's us moving from one recording program to another. And at the end of the conversation, I'll share with you how I'm implementing deep work into my life, and I'll share some tips as to how you can start to do it too, which will be in addition to all of the wonderful things that uh, Bernie and I discuss as well. If you want a written summary of everything that we discuss in this episode, make sure you go to the show notes at thecmethod.com slash deep work, thecmethod.com slash deep work. I'll also put links in there to how you can connect with Bernie. Okay, you ready to go deep? Let's meet Bernie Mitchell. I'm going to ask you your favorite two questions. What are you known for and what would you like to be known for? Oh, I never know how to answer this. Um, I'm known for I'm known for We Share Radio and running a co-working space with a guy called Phil in London called At Work Hubs. And we're starting this new project at the moment and this is what I'd like to be known for is getting a lot of people to write about co-working online. We're trying to activate a lot of freelancers and indie workers that work in co-working spaces to write online and connect with each other and that's through all the little different groups of people we know around mainly europe so that's what i'd like to be known for now apart from doing that i know you like to read i know you you like to read a lot and last time we spoke you recommended a few books to me and you spoke about them so highly you said you know you have to read these i can't believe you haven't read these and one of them was a book called deep work by cal newport and i know that you are implementing a lot of the concepts in the book into your work, not only with your personal work, but also in your with your, in the co-work space as well. So I'd love to talk about about that. Um, um game on. That's a, that's a really important book. Um, if that doesn't sound too pretentious, which I think was the object of Cow's work was to make us think about how we spend our time. And it wasn't like we read the book on Tuesday and everything was okay on Wednesday. It's taken a a long time to. Mm. So this is always really important for me with all these things because it's very easy to, and I've definitely done it, is, is listen to a, a podcast and go, oh, I listened to this podcast with Christina and she said do this and then suddenly think, you know, the world will change in the next 48 hours. But it takes a long time to 
um, keep with a concept or or learn about it or work out how your own personal understanding of it will make it happen in real life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Implementing is critical and you need to find out what works for you um, because it is different for everyone. Yep. So let's start. Let's start by defining firstly what is deep work and then we'll dive into why it's so important and how you're implementing it. I thought, okay, I'm just going to take the definition that Cal Newport writes. So deep work is defined as professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration. Do you have your own definition of what deep work is for you, Bernie? It is that. Um, that definition is what I aspire to. And at the moment, it is just like being able to stay focused for a period of time. And, and this is one of the attractions is, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm one of these like dyslexic, excited Labrador type people. So being able to find a way to sit down and work for a long period of time on something really, really meaningful is, is what, is what I, I'm, that's what my deep work is at the moment. So that is working out how to, you know, write for a long time and finish a bit of work. And, and even at, you know, my late stage in life, that might sound like, well, I thought everyone could do that, but so few people can, whether they're like a filmmaker or a programmer or a, you know, a writer or, you know, any, anything can sit down for like two hours and just like do really meaningful work. And then I've, as I've gone through this, I've worked out like, so it's not so much about getting more done. It's about finding the thing that's like really significant to move you know, either my projects forward or the projects I'm working on. So in the context of a, of a podcast, it's very easy to get excited about this new podcast project and do lots of little things, but like doing one big thing, whether that's recording the jingle or, you know, actually finding and securing a sponsor or um, working out what your you know editorial calendar for the next three months is going to be. So, you know, where you're going, that's, that's like deep work in my world at the moment. Whereas in Cal Newport, it's answering a question for quantum physics or something. Yeah. So, well, he's he's an academic, so he's doing a lot of research papers and trying to publish as much as he can every single year. So deep work is different for everyone. I think for me, it it's around that whole concept of what's important but not urgent. When we go yeah. back to what's that book, uh, Getting Things Done, is, was that where the place where they talked about that or was it a different book? The important, urgent, urgent, not important matrix. It comes from the, I think it's called the Eisenhower matrix. And then um, Stephen Covey made it popular in the seven habits of highly right. effective people. Yeah. So for me, thinking about what constitutes deep work, come it comes back to what's important but isn't urgent. So there's all these other things that are demanding of my time, but there's stuff that I really, really want to do. So, for example, for me, it's writing a keynote presentation or creating um, a new media kit for myself, things that are really going to enhance my my personal brand or help to grow my business. So that business de development stuff, writing my podcast, all of that to me is, is deep work. And I want to contrast it with this the concept of shallow work, which is... Cal Newport defines it as non-cognitively demanding logistical style tasks that we perform often while distracted that don't really create much value in the world. So we're talking email and all sorts of other stuff that we just seem to waste our time with. 
Is this something that you have found yourself getting pulled into, the, the shallow work? Oh, no, I've never done shallow work, Christina. Um, <laughs> the, so so th- this happened yesterday. Is I've been – I love social media, um, and that's how I connect with a lot of people. And a couple of years ago, we all had this kind of cold turkey thing where we deleted all the apps and notifications off our phone. And Philip, who is, is my buddy at WorkHubs, just stripped his phone down to, like, you know, two things. And we just suddenly – we did, did what he said in the book is um went on a social media detox and then when I went to co-working Europe I allowed almost embraced Twitter back onto my phone and I deleted it I deleted the app yesterday because I quickly got into this habit of checking Twitter and then I'd go off into this rabbit hole of like reading stuff that's you know harmless but you know I'd be reading like you know man opens banana shop in Melbourne and and, and the connection I make is like Oh, you know, my mate Christina lives in Melbourne, so I wonder what that's doing. Might be her and then, it, and then I'm, and I'm gone investigating the stuff that is, is you know, harmless and semi-interesting, but it's not meaningful to what we're working on at the moment. So, getting rid of social media is, um, you know, is, is, a, is a huge thing, and it's so, and I do it all the time. So, please don't think I'm like, you know, like the Pope about it, but. It's so easy to get pulled into stuff that doesn't make any difference, even though it gives you a kind of like kick at the time. So, well, I've got inbox zero. Aren't I a good person? And no one gives a shit if you've got inbox zero. It doesn't <laughs> find any cures for cancer or solve a big project or, you know, in a, in a work context, it, it doesn't help your client that you have no emails in your box. Mm. And same with getting back to all those requests that you get through through social media and even just requests at work from people who say, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And I find myself when, when I'm working and Aaron's sitting you know, ac- across from me and he'll say, oh, can you just check this? Or, oh, can you remind me to do this? And I'm, I'm immediately pulled away from my meaningful work and it takes me so long to get back into the groove again. I can't remember the guy's name, but there's someone who did a study at Microsoft and he found that, you know, when someone comes up to you and goes, oh, you know, Christina, can you just have a look at my web page for me or something? You know, something harmless mm. but seems relevant and you, know, you don't take the time to analyze stuff when, when people ask you to do something. It takes like 25 minutes to get back into the space you were. I think we just assume as human beings, like someone can come up and go, oh, Christina, and, and then you'll be back where you were in your brain working on your your slide deck or your speech or your you know blog or whatever it was you, you can just get get back into that but being aware of how long it takes you to get back to where you were when you get your rhythm broken and and I think I don't know if you mentioned this in the book but I just like assume that we we think we're back where we were but we're not actually back where we were you know we we mm. Go, oh, I'll go, you know, we're looking at the screen. This is what I mean. We're looking at the screen, but our train of thought is not on the sentence we were in and how that makes up, makes up the bigger thing. It's easy for us to say, okay, you need to do two hours or three hours of, of deep work, you know, as often as you can to get the important stuff done. But how does that actually look in reality? Well, there's, a, there's a lot of things. Um, so I gave I gave Philip, who runs our co-working space, this book, 
and he was like, oh, it's another book Bernie's given him because I'm always like force feeding him things. Um, and he came, he picked up this one. It was like, oh, I get it now. And we were already doing um, in our co-worker space. We were doing an art club and we were doing a writing club. I immediately went, there are deep work things. So in in a few minutes, we had somewhere where we could say this is what we, at least we're doing like four hours of deep work a week. And people quickly people quickly got into Oh, wait a minute. that that's that's the place I go to kind of concentrate or escape or connect. You know, all, all those kind of feelings. So in the art club, uh, around 15 people come to our co-working space every week and paint and draw, and we decorate the cafe next door. And I'm going to use this as the example because it's over probably a year now of people showing up and painting and drawing and creating and doing stuff. That's decorated the cafe next door to our co-working space because all that, all those drawings and paintings have gone and hung in the cafe next door. So it's like this, our deep work has blossomed into, into <laughs> the cafe. And then the other one is, um, we, we do, you know, a writing club every week and people, same amount of people come to the writing club and there's stand up comedians, academics, people, journalists come just writers people who want to start writing people who have had an idea to do something and this is the first place they found where they can just come and sit and do be with other people that do that type of stuff um and people come in and like sit down and go you know today i'm going to write on you know write about this sit in silence for two hours and write and then say oh this is how my writing went i hope i, could, I hoped i could do this and they kind of share and connect but you feel like you do, you feel like you're doing it with a group of people. There's a camaraderie there rather mm. than like I'm the weirdo who wants to concentrate on something decent. <laughs> um, so Phil's turned this into a whole project, um, and he's got you know deliciously evangelical about it. And then as we as we've gone through this journey together, we we've tried lots lots of different apps and ways to concentrate. And having someone, I think this is probably a good takeaway is finding someone else you can buddy up with and say, you know, I spent eight hours claiming to do work today, but actually, you know, what did, what did you do? Oh, well, I, I thought I spent eight hours working, which is an extraordinarily long time to want to concentrate anyway, but actually I did like one hour of stuff. The other seven hours I, you know, cleaned under the sink or was on Facebook or got distracted by this and then being aware of what distracts you so you don't mm. get distracted and a lot of it is down to having I'd say having the guts to track how you really spend your time and stop lying to yourself which sounds really severe but you know the the, the self-awareness element of it is is huge like even how we make our to-do list every day you know, there's so much good intention in that huge to-do list, but actually I, I found I got very little of it done and I got more overwhelmed by the massive amount of tasks I've sent myself. And now I just go, right, if I can do those three things today, I'll feel accomplished and that will make a big difference in, you know, how things are doing. Doesn't Tim Ferriss call it uh, rig the game so that you can win or like change the rules so that you can win? So instead of having a huge to-do list and then not achieving it and feeling terrible about yourself, you have that a smaller list and and feel at least feel good that you have accomplished something. Have you tracked your time before and seen how much time you're spending on social media? 
I, I use a thing called Rescue Time, which is which is pretty well known. There's, there's a lot of gadgets that do mm. do things like this nowadays, but I started using that like five years ago, maybe more than that, and and I was horrified at how I spent my time on my computer because <clears throat> that was when that was when I sounds so sounds so like severe, doesn't it? how much I was lying to myself about how I spent my time every day. And like the premium version is like $5 a month. And mm. one of the things you can do is like set focus times. So I decided ahead of time that I want to have this amount of time, not on social media and you know, I use it, but I, I don't, it's not like it's my job is social media. So I have on, on my computers, this focus time automatically kicks in. So it blocks out email, FaceTime, uh, Facebook, sorry, and Twitter, you know, everything that's like not a like Google Docs or Trello or Zenkit or Zencaster or something I need to use for work. It blocks all of those things and I can't get into them. And if I have to, if I need, if I do need to get into them, I have to go through this like two minute unlocking process by which, <laughs> by which time I've gone do I really need to do this now and 98% of the time I don't need to do that now so it's it's forced me into staying where I am and, and because I get you know I'd like to be a better man but because I get so easily distracted having that in place has made me stay on task more and I feel, sometimes I feel a bit juvenile that I have to have such a severe system in place to stop me getting distracted but over years, it's built that anti-distraction muscle. So it's, it's definitely worth it. Absolutely. I installed inbox pause on my Gmail. I try my very best to not check email before 11 a.m. or even midday. So at the end of the day, the day before, so at 5 or 6 p.m. when I stop work, I'll hit pause inbox so that the next day when I see it, it doesn't show me all the new emails that have come in and I only unpause it at 11 a.m. when I'm ready to have all the new emails um, appear instead of getting distracted from them in the morning. I I did this other thing as well where for a long time I sent an out-of-office message and I trained – when I say I trained people, I trained like three people (laughs) just not to email me. Yeah. Um, and and they're they're tricks I've picked up from people that work in bigger organisations who have to deal with a lot of email. And there's a guy called um, I always say it wrong, Louis Torres, like the footballer, and he's a he's a mate of mine that lives in Gran Canaria, and he used to work for IBM, probably about ten years ago now, which is which makes it even more of a dramatic step. He stopped using email, and he there's a video of him on YouTube, and they made this whole thing about. Luis works for IBM and he doesn't use email. And that's because there was like an internal, what we call Slack nowadays in IBM. And he, and he wanted it to be like, he said, we should work out in the open so we can share our knowledge with, with each other and stop building up these little email silos. And he had this bet, he had this $50 bet that he could find the answer to anything faster than anyone else in the whole of IBM because he was so well connected to everybody. <laughs> and he was very disciplined in how he worked. So people would say, oh, you know, what, you know, do you know where I can get XXX? And then he'd go off into and go bang, bang, bang. Does anyone know where this is? And people would answer. So he was actually quicker talking out in the, the slack than he mm. was for emailing people. So um, I'm not quite sure how that fits to what we were saying there, but it was a, it's a cool little story. Yeah, it comes back to 
training people on how to communicate with you. And I like how you mentioned that before around the email thing, because I think we're so used to responding instantly to any message that comes our way, whether it's someone coming up to our desk or emailing us and and people seem to expect these responses straight away. And we feel like if we don't get back to people straight away, then it looks bad or something terrible is going to happen. Um, but I've learned that, you know, you don't have to get back to everyone straight away. And if you don't, then it's that you're actually training them on how to communicate with you. So if you, if you tell them, Hey, I don't answer my phone before 11 a.m. I don't respond to messages. I don't check email before 11 a.m. So don't expect anything back. People will be a bit disgruntled at the start, but they'll eventually learn. I mean, that's all part of learning how to say no, essentially. Isn't it? The, the, the learning how to say no thing is, is gigantic. And, um, the reward of very good mental health for saying no is, until, until you sort of get there, you, you don't realize. And, um, one of the, one of the constant conversations is about saying no and making more time and how you have more headspace and you do better work because you said no because you have less on your plate. And saying yes to everyone, and that, that was a that that's caused me a, a lot of mental trouble and t- scheduling trouble and obligation trouble. And people would rather you say no than take on too much and screw it up or not deliver on time. And for like five years, I've had this little ticket on my desk that says "say no," and it feels like you're letting people down by saying no. But if I say to you, "I can't do the podcast this month." Can we do it next month? Then you know where you stand with me. Whereas if I blow you out every week because I just have too much on, then, then it affects your, your, the workflow of your life. Hmm. I found it like I, I'm never going to be able to convey how hard I found it to say no to people, you know, from my, my, my wife and child and people in my family to people in my co-working space to people I, I met in the bus queue. And then when you say no, you let people know where they stand, like I just said, but also you you free up a load of load of time that you just didn't, as, as odd as it sounds, you didn't realize it was there. Yeah, you're saying yes to yourself and your your important work. I think there's a great quote that goes: "When you say no to someone else, you're saying yes to yourself," or something like that. Yeah, and if you make your own path people understand you better so they know how to help you better so that's definitely definitely happened since we've been deep working because there's more definition in who we are like that that quote if you if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything so people know that you know i'm into blogging and podcasting and trying to write better and productivity and they know and i hope people know that that's because i'm trying to be a better human being not that i've got amazingly got my shit together overnight and you can buy my Ten thousand pound course, la la la. It's like a genuine. It's a genuine quest in our co-working space to try and better ourselves through these deep work things. So we encourage people to come to Right Club and Art Club to find out how to do stuff, not to you know be amazingly picture perfect freelancers and co-workers. And that's attracted a group of people to us who kind of fit into that rhythm. Whereas before. I'd spend all day like flicking around Twitter and email and hoping something would happen and no one knew what to ask me to do because, you know, I'd say yes to everything. So it was never very clear what I did. 
it's a long-standing joke and like so what does bernie do he knows everybody but what does he do <laughs> um you know now now people know what i do you know mm. even people that work on the desk next to me have stopped asking me what i do because there's i've said no to so many things that you know i only say yes to a couple of things that i know how to do really well and i spend my time working out how to do those two or three things better and better and better and they're and they're mainly you know if it's to do with blogging or podcasting and teaching people how to do that that's what i do well i'm so glad you said yes to this podcast bernie it's been fabulous having you on thank you so much for sharing your insights and it's great to hear your perspective on how you approach deep work and how you're bringing it into your life and not just your life but other people in the co-work space too if anyone's in London or going to London, you should definitely go check it out. Bernie, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing and to discover more about productivity and the other wonderful things that you blog about, where can they connect with you? If you just put Bernie J. Mitchell into your favorite search engine, that will come up with my website and Twitter and LinkedIn and stuff like that. And then we, we're putting, always putting more and more stuff on our uh, website for the co-working space which is at workhubs.co.uk. But if you put if you put workhubs Houston into a search engine, it will come up with our um, our website. And we have meetups. So if you happen to be wandering through London, just come in, drink our coffee, and uh, join in with some writing. And thank you for your amazing, positively smiling energy all the time. Thanks, Bernie. It's been a pleasure having you on. Huge thanks to my good friend, Bernie Mitchell, for joining me on the podcast this week to discuss one of my favorite books that I read in 2017, something that made a a really profound impact on me. So I'd like to thank Bernie for introducing me to the book. I'll put links to how you can connect with him in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash deep work. Okay. Now, Bernie shared a lot of great ideas around how he's implementing the concept of deep work. And apart from the things that I mentioned in the conversation, I'd like to share some other ways that I'm implementing the the deep work concept and to give you some ideas on how you may also like to implement it too. Firstly, Bernie and I talked about saying no and how important that is if you want to get meaningful work done. And it's about saying no to other people, to other distractions and saying yes to yourself. And I know for a lot of people saying yes to yourself is not something that you do naturally and it's not something you're used to. So I would recommend that you actually start um, start some new habits where you're saying yes to yourself. And a good way to do this is to start your morning with time for you. So you're saying yes to yourself the first thing, as soon as you get up in the morning. You're not getting up, rushing off to work, being there for someone else, okay? Get up a bit earlier and spend the first 30 minutes to an hour of the day as time for you. Go for a walk, do some stretching or exercise, make yourself a nice cup of tea and read an inspiring book. Write down three things you're grateful for and put your freaking phone away. No phone. You're saying yes to you, not yes to other people or to Facebook or for people who are texting you, okay? Practice saying yes to you. Now, once that has become a habit and you've learned to say no to distractions and yes to yourself, you may then start to feel more comfortable saying yes 
to the deep work or to the important projects at work and no to the shallow tasks and the distractions. The next thing you can do is to, and this is what I do, I write out three priorities for the day. In the morning, I'll get start a new page in my notebook and I'll write out three priorities for the day. And one will be a major one, so something to do with a deep work project that I'm working on, and then two smaller ones. And the major one is the one thing. And I think to myself, what's the one thing that will make the biggest difference? And then I work on that one thing. And then as long as I get that one thing done, it's a successful day. So I feel good about my day and I don't feel terrible for not having ticked off a million things off my to-do list. I've had days where I put off working on this podcast. So this podcast was, for example, my one thing. This is the most important thing I need to do today. But I would let myself get distracted by the shallow work. I'm answering emails. I've had these things come up, these requests come up. Can you send us through this and this and this? And then I go, okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then I don't do the podcast. And then I find myself stressing and rushing to get it done the following morning. So write out your three priorities, pick one major one and and focus on doing that first. Okay, another thing that I do to help me in my quest for more deep workiness is to is I change my environment. I go to a cafe where the the hustle and the bustle and that that energy it really works for me. I find if I'm working at home, I get distracted by the fridge, the couch, by Aaron if he's at home as well. And if I go to my co-working space, I get distracted by my colleagues there. We have a chat, which is great. You know, it's great to have people around, but I also get distracted. So pick an environment that works for you. Maybe you have to lock yourself in a meeting room where people can't find you and you literally have to hide for two hours to get that done. Maybe you do a work from home day or a half day, whatever works for you in order to get that meaningful work done without any distractions. Okay, the next tip, or the next thing that I do, this is kind of like a blanket thing I've I've started doing. I don't look at social media feeds ever. No social media feeds ever. I do not look at Facebook. I don't I don't scroll. I don't go if I'm feeling bored, I don't mindlessly go to Facebook and just scroll, 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 scroll. I do not look at Instagram. I do not look at Twitter feeds. I do look at my messages and at my notifications. You know, if someone's tagged me or tried to share something with me, I will I will look at that and that's fine. But I don't mindlessly scroll. I've discovered that mindlessly scrolling through social media feeds is like is one of those addictive, shallow tasks that destroys your ability to focus because it's so distracting. Like every single post that you flick past, your brain is making these micro decisions going, should I look at it? Should I click on it? Should I like it? Should I comment? Or maybe not. And you're doing that for every single freaking post that you see as you scroll down, right? It's actually eroding your your ability to focus. It's taking away from that. So if there's Oh, if there's one thing that you try, if there's maybe it can be a New Year's resolution, I don't know, but maybe one thing you can try for a week, just give it a go for a week and don't scroll and find something else to do instead. Read a book, do something, read something that's going to enhance your life and make you a better person instead of getting you all distracted and making you feel worse about yourself. Sorry, I got a bit ranty there. 
So anyway, those are my tips for you. There are so many things that you can do to help yourself um, implement this deep work into your life. Um, But that's just what I found has worked for me. So I hope that this episode has been useful for you and that it's maybe opened your mind up to some new things that you hadn't thought about before. And as you're implementing this, I know that sometimes what we need to help us implement something new is someone else to hold us accountable. So I would love to hear from you on how you plan, or maybe you already are implementing the concepts of deep work into your life. Let me know. Email cc at thecmethod.com and let me know what you're up to. Has it worked for you? Have you stopped scrolling? Was it hard? Did you find that people didn't miss you? Uh Uh-oh. I don't know. What was the result of implementing these these things into your life to help you to get more meaningful work done. I would love to hear from you. cc at thecmethod.com. Okay, and that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Keep on being awesome and I will talk to you next week. My name's Christina Cantors and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>